When kids just won't listen, parents often feel stuck between two choices, to give in or get angry. It's exhausting. We give you the top techniques directly from the experts, helping you on your path to a more peaceful, respectful, and joyful life with your kids. Agata De La Cruz is my guest today, and she is not someone who has worked professionally with kids. I know. You're thinking, why is she on the show then, James? You promised us experts. Well, she's she's got her own expertise and her own experience that she's very good at sharing. She's a full-time working mom. She's a first-time parent. And she's got a toddler, so she's right in there learning and growing with him. And the way she's able to tell her story um, is clearly applying everything that she's learning. It's, uh, it's, it's nice. She's done a lot of homework. She's learned a lot. And the way she's able to tell her story of how she has applied what she's learned, um, it's it's personal and it's she's relatable and she's just great at sharing her story. So today we're going to talk about emotional intelligence. We're going to talk about growth mindset and how that is, applies to the parent and how it applies to the child. Um, talk about what what it means to hold space and how we choose and connect with therapists and just all kinds of interesting, interesting things. If you're curious and interested in self-awareness and emotional well-being, join her community of other like-minded parents and individuals on her very artistic Instagram page called Tanos Mom. That's at T-A-N-O-S underscore M-O-M. So now here's my wonderful conversation with Agata De La Cruz. Okay, Agata De La Cruz, welcome to Getting Kids to Listen. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, so you're here to talk about your, well, your relationship with your son and the work you do with him to help him out with his mindset and such. What is it that you love most about working with him and and working on all these different areas? Um, I think it's the idea that, um, I mean, by all means, I'm not a professional. I'm just a mom that's learning along the way, just like a lot of other parents. Uh, my son is my first child. So nobody handed me a manual when I came out of the hospital. And there's so many things as a parent that you go through uh, challenges of, when you're, you know, when your child isn't speaking yet and you're trying to decipher and understand, um, you know, how, how you can meet their needs through that process. I have been able to learn so much about human behavior, human needs, and, um, just even about myself, my own triggers, my own, um, challenges that I face sometimes when we are living these kind of crazy lives and trying to get a lot done and trying to meet the needs of really, really small people. 
So that's what I love about it is my son has pushed me so far in better understanding myself and just better understanding humans. So that is one of the reasons that I run my Instagram account. I share my journey with other people. And um, by all means, I don't try to be, you know, come across as the expert. I'm just sharing the resources and the experiences that I'm having along the way. I think that's great. Hey, I don't even have kids and here I am doing this. So um, what's the uh, what's the main thing you think that you've learned from working with him? Um, it would be connection. So um, some of the the sort of areas that I really love to focus on and I find fascinating is about emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence being that I myself went through a lot of um, challenges as a kid. And then I had a lot of anger and behavioral issues myself throughout life in my 20s. Um, very destructive relationships um, with, you know, boyfriends, with coworkers. And it didn't really make a very, you know, happy life for me. And after I had my son, I realized wow, there's a lot of these things that I don't want to pass on to him. I don't want him to struggle in life as much. And so I, this is what brought me onto the path of how to help my son become much more emotionally intelligent and be able to harness some of these different emotions instead of allowing them to drive us, um, being in much more control and understanding what these emo- how these emotions can help us throughout life. And that's where the growth mindset also comes in, which is really helping to understand that just because of what you're facing doesn't mean it's something that you can't overcome. Um, I love the expansiveness of growth mindset and how every single person really has the, you know, talents and capabilities and potentials. But when I was growing up, I was never told this. This was never shared with me. It was sort of like you have innate traits and this is who you are and this is who you're going to be stuck with. And so that's the sort of journey that I've been on is really learning that, no, we can really change and alter how we think and we behave, but um, emotional intelligence and growth mindset are the foundations of that. And I would say the key way of being able to really understand children and even my own son is through connection. When we're able to connect, that's when we're able to open up and uh, be much more open to emotions um, with small children. How much were you already doing that type of um, work on emotional intelligence before having him? And how much of it was like the impetus of, uh Oh, I have a kid now. Now, now I really have to get cracking because I know a lot of people, they take their own emotional health seriously only when they, only when they have kids. So I'm wondering yeah, how long you were kind of already in that beforehand? So my <clears throat> my emotional intelligence was extremely low, I would say, uh, even after the birth of my son. Um, I was I definitely had postpartum, and I didn't want to treat it um, by taking medication, so I really wrote it out. I was sort of in denial about it. So with sleep deprivation. Um, Going through those sort of ups and downs when you do when you're in postpartum, I was extremely reactive. I was very angry. And I literally, if I'm just being really honest with everybody here, um, I I wasn't having a really good time. I I know people have children and it's an amazing experience, 
But for me, it felt a little bit like hell. And because of that approach and attitude, there was a lot of challenges in my marriage and in my other external relationships that were popping up that were making life even more challenging. And that was the wake up call for me that, wow, you know, this is something that he is going to take on if I don't change and if I don't start working on myself. And so uh, when he was about six months old is when I really started this whole entire journey. And the book recommendation that I received is something along the line of how to raise emotionally um, intelligent children. And that's the first time I really heard about even that term. And it really started opening up my eyes that so much of how we relate to children, how we speak to them, how we handle their challenges, their tantrums, their meltdowns, um, can have a cause effect on their um, mental and emotional well-being for the future. And I'm, and I'm really pleased that I went through these challenges because I was already so open to that message. I think um, I myself, before this whole area, or before I was even pregnant, I thought I was perfect. You know, like there's nothing wrong with me. It's everybody else that has issues. And they're just, that was sort of the mindset. And um, I will say going through and really educating myself, I was, I was hungry to learn more. And that was sort of the beginning of, um, of how I started learning about it. And the word connection, is that something that you were thinking about or is that is that was that kind of new to the vocabulary as you did the emotional intelligence work and what does that even mean can you is there a definition for that yeah so no connection was not even in my vernacular um the, the previous me would be very much about enforcing my way very stubborn very adamant my way or the highway that is not connection that is the opposite of connection Connection is when you and I could even be uh, coming from two different perspectives, but we can agree that we're coming from two different perspectives. Human connection is when we can be compassionate, empathetic, and understand people on a much more human level. Um, and it's just a, a different way to look at that as human beings, we all need to feel connected. We all want love, we want compassion, we want to be accepted for who we are. And when we are able to um, create relationships with people, with our spouses, with you know our uh, teachers who teach our children, um, with our neighbors, with other people's um, children and Everybody's coming from so many different perspectives, but connection is what really tr truly holds us together. And, and it's something that is not, I would say, you don't just snap into connection. I still sometimes fail at being able to connect, but I continuously remind myself of what's important. So you're trying to move more into these um, feelings of compassion, empathy, open-mindedness uh, when you're relating to people. Okay. With um, with a kid who's pre-verbal, I'm guessing he's got lots to say now. But for a long time, that wasn't wasn't an option. Um, were you still thinking about connection and? Hmm. 
I guess I'm wondering if the nonverbal stuff kind of applies across the board with with people of all ages or if there's a special yeah like a different approach if there's sure. a different approach I, with, the, with the infant to tell you honestly when i first started learning and understanding about emotional intelligence i thought it was about helping to broaden a child's vocabulary um which would be you know understand what anger is understand what sadness is and be okay to feel those feelings because a lot of the time and you see this in a lot of children's books and movies and uh just i would say the american culture is be happy 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 and what that is doing is it's actually disqualifying the fact that we do feel anxious that we do feel sad that we feel angry so when I began on this journey, it was about helping um, my son, who was preverbal, understand some of these words. And um, I did buy a bunch of books in different ways, being able also to share with him, like, "Hey, mommy's feeling actually pretty upset right now about X," even though he was nonverbal. Um, as he started moving into age two, which a lot of um, people who have toddlers understand, is they're starting to. Um, develop their prefrontal cortex and that's when they're starting to create much more um, assertiveness they want that sense of independence and so sometimes the things that we are asking them to do um, they just it's not something that they want to follow through because they want to do things their way um, and so con what connection looks like is being able to acknowledge something that he does uh, example of this would be for instance when I'm cooking um, I'm making something on the stove and he's pulling me. He wants me to go in the playroom and sit with him. The surefire way for me to, uh, get him into a meltdown to say, no, mommy's really busy right now. Like, you know, please go in the front and, um, I'll come back when I have time. That's a sure way to disacknowledge of something that he wants, which is mommy, I need you. I want your connection. I want your attention right now. I think for parents, we're trying to do a lot. Um, and it can be very challenging to be able to constantly meet their needs. But one way I do is I actually literally, I'll turn off the burner, I'll get down to his eye level and I'll say, hey, you really want me to come down and sit with you? Well, can you come and sit with me? Do you wanna come help me cook? Because right now I need to get this thing finished. And when I explain sometimes the why to him and I acknowledge him in that sense, um, I find that he feels much more, um, like I'm there for him and he's less likely to go into a meltdown. Now I'm not a perfect parent. Sometimes there is an emergency where I literally cannot give him that attention that he seeks. And yeah, and meltdowns will ensue. Um, but another way is sometimes he, our son loves to pull us and take us into different rooms or he wants to show us this and that. And, and it's very inconvenient. I will take the time out of what it is that I'm doing and I will give him that. And then I'll say, okay, well, I'm going to stay here for about two minutes, but then I got to go back to this thing that I'm doing. You're more than welcome to come with me. And those are just small ways that I practice connection uh, with my son. You, you had talked about connection being um, like acknowledgement. And so you're, you mean you're actually verbally acknowledging what it is that he's after you know that he wants you to come into the room and sit with him and so you're just saying that yeah a lot of it is reflecting what i'm hearing back from him 
Um, this would also be in, um, let me use an example of, um, we try to really limit TV time and screen time. And right now, because my husband and I are both working from home, sometimes we do have to use it because I need to get something done, send out an email or something. And um, when we tell him like no more, he does get very upset about it because he could just watch TV all day long. But one of the things that I try to say is like, I know you really want to watch TV. I mean, those cartoons are so cool and they're so fun and I totally understand. But we're done for today and there's no, we can't do anymore. So why don't we go and find something else? Let's go read a book or I, you know, I try to offer him like one or two other alternatives. But really acknowledging him like, yeah, I understand. This is a really cool thing. And this is definitely something that I would want to do all day too. But there's a limit to what we can do. And it's really about utilizing your own family rules of, you know, there's no perfect way. Um, some parents do absolutely zero screen time. Like we don't do sugar and cookies and juice and that kind of stuff. And we really try to limit um, certain things that he eats. And those are sometimes the battles that come up is like he wants more sweets, he wants more TV. Um, but that's a way through connection that we start setting some of those boundaries, um, but also acknowledging him that we understand the, the, why he wants these things. And in the examples you gave, you talked about um, giving other options, like, like in the one where you were talking about cooking, you said, hey, do you want to come cook with me? Um, how do you come up with the other options if, if, if what you're feeling is kind of, oh, go away, I'm, if what you're feeling in the instant is go away, I'm busy, and you said you don't want to say that, mm -hmm. um, you do want to spend, the, you know, you do want to have some connection. Um, yeah, how do you come up with, with what the other option is? If it, Yeah. I'm, I'm just imagining at first it feels like this is, uh, this is not something we can compromise on. Yeah. Um, it's really like what's in front of me at the moment. So if I'm cooking something and like he can wash the vegetables or he loves different um he likes to play with water so it's literally what's in front of me that i know that he finds interesting um we have this one like junk drawer that has a lot of like different kitchen utensils i'll, I'll pull up the little step ladder for him and be like do you want to do you want to come look at all these different spoons and he's he's next to me and sometimes he'll say no he's like no i need you to come into the front room with me so um it's really it's like do you want to bring your cars over here i i try to find something that he would find interesting um, and we can be in the same space together while I can get my thing done. Now, sometimes if he's overtired or we've had an ex exceptionally challenging day because, you know, nobody's perfect, um, sometimes don't work and sometimes like meltdowns do ensue and just try to go with the flow and acknowledge it like, wow, you're really upset or I need to really give you a snack right now. Um, and then try to, I, I try to, you know, really help like tune into what's here in front of me in the moment um and sometimes i will admit like i do get exasperated i myself like hit a threshold if i haven't had great sleep or i'm overworking having that patience for my son withers quite a lot 
Um, and that's something that has really come to my awareness that in order for me to hold that space for him, for connection, you need to have patience. And so we, as parents, educators, caretakers, we really need to tune into our own needs because we cannot show up for kids um, in this way when we are constantly giving, 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 giving. So um, I definitely try to balance things out by tuning into projects and things that sort of give me autonomy. So then, and then I can get also, you know, try to get a good night's rest, try to eat well. Um, so I can show up for my son in the way that he needs to have that sense of connection. Just one more question about the giving options. I noticed that you're talking about giving specific options. You're not just saying, go find something else to do. Mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you think it is about the specific options that works better? Um, I'm going to just like... Uh, give an example from my own perspective, because I'm a mom. Um, I don't work with lots of children, but I know what it works best for my son is when, if I give him one or two options of things that I know he really already likes and enjoys, um, it's less likely to be a battle for us. Um, and it's not that I'm trying to um, avoid any sort of confrontation with my son. I just know that at his age, if I give him an infinite amount of opportunity, he doesn't really know what to do with that yet. But when I say you can have A or B, most likely he goes along with the flow and he'll say, I want B. Um, and then it allows us to sort of move forward. So it's just, it's interesting part of psychology that you're actually restricting options, but that's more kind of influential or yeah, that's more convincing to, to put something in front of them and say, would you like this? Would you like to do this or that? Yeah. Then do something else amongst anything in the whole world, which requires a lot of his own. He already knows what's in his mind, which is pulling you away into the playroom. Or, yeah. Uh, do you ever find that, that making time for this connection when you're busy do you find that that encourages him to um, come and bug you even more? Yeah. You know, if you're if you're always <laughs> if you're always have have something for him in a way. Yeah. Um, rather than just being hey, go away. Um, I, you one of the with... things that I want to emphasize is um, my journey is very different from my husband's. My husband just generally is a much more empathetic uh, and patient person in general. My husband also comes from a very kind of, I will say, strict and conservative upbringing himself. And so there are certain values um, that he wants to instill our son, in our son that aren't always, they're a little bit more authoritative and a little bit top down. Now, um, so, so our marriage and our family and the way that we're bringing, we really try to discuss a lot of trying to get on the same page and we might have different ways of, um, you know, showing that and, and, and creating that experience with our son. For me, because I have struggled so much with anger, um, it does not make, it has not made me a very patient person. So I, it's almost like the experience with my son is a way to push myself to be much more patient, 
to be much more in tune with other humans. So that's something that's important to me. And so this is why, yes, he knows that he has way more leeway with me than my husband, but I'm okay with that because I'm his mom. Um, now there are certain things that my husband and I discuss where like we definitely need to be on the same page when it comes to boundaries, what we allow, like the TV stuff, what we eat, when we eat. Um, those are the, the things, but how sometimes we connect with him are just in different ways. And I, I'm okay with that. Um, one of the things that I try to do really with my son is really give him a lot of the why and explain the why. And um, because he does feel connected with me, I sometimes have to like really explain the boundary to him. Like uh, an example would be is my husband will put him down at nighttime, close the door, good night, we'll see you in the morning. Um, sometimes if he's not ready or we put him down a little early because we have to finish our work at night, um, you know, he, he, he wants to stay up and he wants to play. My husband is very clear about setting that boundary. It's bedtime now. Me, I will go in there a couple of times and he definitely is like, oh, mom, I want more milk and I need this. And can you bring me my car? And I know what he's doing. But I tried to really set the boundary and say, you know what? It's almost 8.30 now. I'm going to give you these things. But now it's nighttime and now it's bedtime. And I give him a cuddle and I, you know, and then I leave the room. And then usually, most of the time, he understands like, okay, like, this is it. So it has taken us time to be able to communicate and work up with him. But once again, that takes a lot of patience. And sometimes on some nights, it's really, if I have a deadline, I really got to get things done. Um, I might cut that a little bit shorter than usual. But, you know, it's not perfect. And I wouldn't want anybody who's listening to this think, um, you know, I have it all together. I, by all means, I'm a human too. I have my needs. And so, you know, but I really try to, to tune into my son's needs as well. Um, and that takes a lot of like patience. Um, and, and sometimes we just are very sharp on that. <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm hearing from you that there's a difference between being responsive and being like a pushover. You know, you'll still have your boundaries. Um, there's still a bedtime. But if you can spare a minute when you're cooking, then... I think that's a really great way for you to put that um, because that's the difference between my husband and I. Our, our boundaries are similar. Mine are, my, my sphere of boundaries is a little further out. His is a little tighter. Um, and, and I feel like a lot of people, you know, will have their own version of what, what they're comfortable with and what is a boundary. And by all means, I think, I definitely believe that um, with like, with things like routine, children feel very comfortable. I mean, I have two dogs. My dogs feel very comfortable with routine. And I think setting certain boundaries allows uh, at least our son to, um, to feel a sense of place. Um, I don't think, you know, there's the boundaries that hurt us emotionally because we're not acknowledging somebody's needs uh, and, 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 and feelings. But there's a way to set boundaries where we are acknowledging the other person, but we're also letting them know, like, this is the limit. Um, so I really like the way that you put that. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. You were saying about, um, we were talking before about the pre-verbal stuff and how you would communicate how you're feeling, even if he's not 
able to have that conversation with you. A hundred percent. And one of the things I learned, uh, I have learned, and I know other practitioners, um, psychologists and educators will have a way better grasp on this, but something that I've been learning a lot as since my child, well, my son's been really small is about the brain and how the brain develops. Well, when children are really small as an infant um, and before they're pre-verbal, just the way that the brain is wired is what gives us a sense of calmness and connection is through touch. So if we try to talk down at a small child or an infant, um, the prefrontal cortex isn't developed. So they don't have rational thinking. What um, gets through to them is um, connections happens through touch and a certain way to calm them down. This is why when babies are upset, we hold them tight uh, and we do certain things to try to, to soothe them and make them feel like, hey, we're here for you. And if at around age one and a half is really when that sort of um, independence started coming out with my son. And part of the biggest frustration that sometimes would lead to a meltdown is because he didn't know how to express himself. Like he was not verbal yet. And so if he can't do something or I'm not understanding what it is that he wants, he sometimes would literally go into meltdown because he feels so frustrated with me right there in the moment. So um, one way to, that I handled that in the past, which we still exercise um, to this day, we just do a lot more verbal stuff now, but um, just really get down at his eye level. I would open up my arms and as he was getting upset and really just, just being their friends, like, do you want a hug? Do you want to come in for a hug? Now, what I've learned from here and from other people, some children have a sphere where they definitely are like the touchy feely kids and that feels really good to them. And then some kids are like, no, I don't want to be touched right now. So my son is very much uh, like, he's not necessarily a cuddler, but he loves to touch and, and hold hands with you. He loves being picked up and he loves being held. And that's something that I had to figure out, um, you know, getting to know my son in the beginning stages of, of um, you know, after his birth. But that's something that is one way that I was um, doing expressing connection and definitely like getting down low not hovering over them, but getting um, at the eye level. And then sometimes just being like, hey, I'm here for you. I see that you really, really upset. I'm here for you. I, I'll give you a hug. Um, but sometimes he just needs to write out that emotion. Um, and it's not saying like, don't do that or, um, oh, you're okay. I mean, those are, the, those are sl my slight bugbears um, about really discounting a child's experience. Um, this is something that I learned myself. Um, and it was a real big hump I had to get over of like, no, he's not okay. Just because that doesn't seem that something, that's something that doesn't upset us. It is very upsetting to them. And so there's that piece of acknowledgement of like, Hey, they're going through something. It's temporary. Um, but when we are able to get down to their level and connect with them on a physical level, most likely it, it's going to be not as harsh as when we, um, tell them to stop that, you know, rambunctious behavior of like crying and throwing a fit and throwing things. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tricky one. I can, the, uh, like your example of when he's upset and, and you're saying, someone's saying, you know, oh, you're okay. That's kind of dismissive or playing down, you know, their experience. And it's also, I've seen, or have done myself where you can be over responsive, you know, a kid gets hurt. And if everyone goes, Oh my gosh, it's what a bad cut you have, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, 
I'm really glad you bring that up because that's, Mm -hmm. that's something that my husband and I have had to work through. Um, this is, you know, as we're all going on our own, like self-awareness journey, I definitely am aware my husband is masculine. He has a son. So there are certain things that he's pulling into his experience of like, let's not create a weak child where every single little thing is going to be upsetting him. Um, I think it's a balance that him and I have had to really work on, like what is considered uh, appropriate for a two-year-old and what is not. I definitely try to acknowledge where my husband is coming through um, on that level. But I will say that um, what's more damaging in the long run is um, dismissing other people's emotions. Because if we can't get in touch with Uh, feeling angry or constantly being dismissed. This is what happened to me in my childhood. And I had to go through therapy where I didn't feel acknowledged. And so um, it has showed up as having a very aggressive personality towards others. And I had a mistrust for other people. And so for me in particular, I'm very sensitive to that where I'm like, I almost rather overcompensate and over acknowledge because I've seen the other side of it. And everybody's entitled to their own point of view, but that's the point of view where I come from. And those are the type of discussions that we have, I have with my husband as a way to really try to understand where we're coming from and then try to find that happy medium of, um, you know, being able to raise him on a, you know, on a, around the same page. And one other thing that I want to bring up that you said, I think that is really important. One of the reasons sometimes we disacknowledge an emotion of when somebody is like a small child is upset is um, it triggers our own things. So um, one of the things that when my son used to control, um, cry uncontrollably uh, without like scaring our audience a little bit too much or making people feel sad or anything like that. Um, my son, uh, my brother, um, we had a lot of, you know, domestic abuse in my family. And so I, he's eight years older. So, um, I grew up with, um, witnessing my brother being beaten in front of me. So the trigger of my son crying uncontrollably were these subconscious triggers for me where I could not deal with it. So I wanted to stop the crying because it was triggering me. And those are things that we are not aware about uh, when we get into parenthood, because those are not things that were brought onto us. And I didn't even realize, but I actually had trauma. I started going and seeing a therapist because there was all these different challenges in my parenting technique that kept coming up where I wanted to run away from some of these situations. But I think that's one of the reasons we try to, you know, extinguish um, some of these emotions because we ourselves are feeling very uncomfortable with them. And I think if we want to raise resilient, independent, compassionate kids that are empathetic towards others uh, and empathetic with themselves and having really good control of their own emotions, we have to do some of this groundwork with ourselves and where we're coming from. Um, And sometimes that's not something that people are willing to admit or even venture into. But that's definitely been my sort of journey. Um, and it's been really opening me up in all kinds of different ways. Um, I would say I'm not 100% perfect yet. Sometimes those triggers still come up, but I'm, I'm aware of them and I'm able to deal with them. Like 
ask my husband like, Hey babe, I'm really feeling exasperated right now. And I'm at my limit. I need you to come and step in because I myself need a timeout. Um, so that's, I just wanted to bring that up. It's like, you know, not to make people feel guilty, but that is the answer of sometimes why we feel so uncomfortable with, yeah. you know, little kids having meltdowns. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And even outside of, you know, the, the tantrum or the un- uncontrollable crying and how it might, you know, trigger being abused or, or anything like that. Um, you know, in my experience, it's, um, I think I can even just be like embarrassed for the kid or I'm, you know, the kid does something embarrassing and then I'm embarrassed around people. And it kind of, you know, I think for all types of emotions, we can kind of feel them for people or we're, you know, especially with someone we're taking care of, um, there's some transference of, of what they're feeling to, to us feeling ownership for that. And that's, yeah. Suddenly we're all in this, in this, you know, urgent situation and, and things can get ugly really quick. Um, and you know, a term that I literally learned a couple of months ago, which I never heard of before, but it's called holding space. So holding space is where you're acknowledging that you see an emotion that's being reflected back on you and that transference is happening with you where it makes you feel uncomfortable. Um, but acknowledging like, wow, I feel uncomfortable. And that person is having an emotion and you're just allowing to stay with it. And that's called holding space. And that was sort of a mind blowing thing for me that those are some of the foundations of emotional intelligence is we're becoming much more emotionally intelligent by being able to understand that we, when we see somebody suffering or when we see somebody going through, like we have a a visceral reaction sometimes through our own emotions. And the more we can practice of being able to hold space for other people um, is also how we strengthen that connection just in general as human beings. Um, That was not something that I was definitely not taught when I was a child. Um, and those are some of the things that I'm hoping as my son gets older to, as I learn and, and, and get better at it is to really teach him how to do that. Not just me with me as his mom, who I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be so frustrated with him in so many levels, but also when he starts making friends with other people, when he starts, you know, um, having uh, teachers and other people in his life is being able to hold space of what's currently going on, um, is such a, you know, place of strength and power of us humans being able to relate to each other. And I think in today's world, we really, really need that. Um, and that's something that I'm, I'm still learning about, but I find really, really fascinating. So rather than trying to make the situation go away or to rush in and save it, holding space is about kind of sitting with someone in their, in their pain or their darkness or whatever, and just being willing again to, um, to kind of just show up for them earlier. You had said, you had said kind of, I'm here for you, um, which is another kind of mantra I try to keep around, uh, as some, you know, practicing compassion is, is a lot of times just showing up, holding space, sitting with someone. Those are all kind of, yeah. Therapists have trained to do this for a really long time. And um, if you have a very great therapist, they will make you feel comfortable because what they're doing is they're holding space. 
They're not judging you. Um, they're acknowledging how you're feeling. Um, but they're not also, you notice that a therapist won't give you advice unless you ask for it. They're just there listening to you. And most of the time playing back, oh, this is what I heard you say. Um, and I think more and more parents and educators are noticing that some of those um, qualities um, don't necessarily have to be just for therapy. Those are things and practices that could be um, applied to literally our day-to-day. -day. We don't have to get into the subject and we won't go on much longer, but um, how you, how did you choose a type of therapist? Did you, did you just open up the phone book or question. is there? Yeah, it's, it's a bit, um, even for me, I think it's really confusing. The more and more I learn about the space, the more I learn about myself. Um, I definitely have in the past sort of just done research and it's really hard to tell um, because there's so many different uh, methods and approaches. Um, and it all depends what are you dealing with? Do you have like deep-seated trauma? Like deep-seated trauma would be things like, you know, you've witnessed rape, you have been abused, you have um, been around alcohol and drug abuse. Like those are some really big things that require a certain approach. And then, then there are things like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just know that I hate everybody and everybody ticks me off. And I, you know, I can't seem to hold down a job because I can't form relationships with people. So I don't have the answer, but what I do know is, um, it's really important to ask a therapist how, what is their mode of, um, what it is that they practice. What does that entail? What are some of the outcomes of it? Uh, what can you expect? And just learning and educating yourself. And then also, how does that make, person make you feel when you're on the phone with them? Because a lot of people, <laughs> because I have been sometimes where I felt uncomfortable with somebody and that was an indicator to me that like, I, because you're gonna go so deep with somebody on a lot of this stuff you really need to feel a sense of safety. So connection and safety is also the foundations of helping a child move through um, uh, big emotions and tantrums. But it's, it's also a foundational thing for us adults when we don't feel, um, connection and safety is when you are in a romantic relationship with somebody, you need to have it there in order to really be able to open up, be vulnerable and be exposed. That's what our children are looking for from us. Um, and that's also what you're, what a therapist should be able to make you feel off the bat. If somebody makes you feel uncomfortable, I would say that's probably not gonna be the best fit for you. Um, they might have a certain approach and a mode that might work for some people, um, but maybe you require a, a, you know, a, a different person. Um, and so it is all about sort of dating and, and, and feeling and trying things out before you might land on the person that might be really great for you. Um, I've definitely been in a place where I've started with somebody and it, it wasn't really going anywhere and I've switched and you're allowed to do that as well. Um, so I don't, I don't have the perfect answer for it, but I think it's trial and error and it's all about like, do you feel safe? Do you feel connected? Um, so yeah. Nice. I like it. Yeah. Do you feel safe? It is a big first one. Um, 
I do, I do like coaching with people, which is just armchair psychology. And I've seen therapists also. And I, if I was going to make any other, other recommendation beyond feeling safe is make sure it doesn't feel too safe. Cause sometimes people will just gladly pay or gladly take your money, whatever side of the seat you're sitting on to, to just, Hey, how you doing? Fine. Cool. Neat. You know, it's kind of like, there's a, there's a zone of, of discomfort that you want to be in. I I think sometimes clear of what it is that you are looking to get out of your experience. Mm -hmm. So most of us, if you go into therapy, you're facing a challenge. Sometimes you're aware of what that challenge is and sometimes it's not. But really, the reason we seek um, therapy is because we want somebody to help us and figure out and put us on a on a trajectory of being able to live life in a different way. And so, being able to articulate what it is that you're looking for, and then asking that therapist of like, okay, so what's your approach? Like, how would we handle this? And now, therapy is not like a one and done type of thing. At different modes, have different approaches some are lengthy some are not and then just see what you feel comfortable with i definitely at the moment have been um exploring somatic therapies so there's like you said the armchair therapy which really goes into the psyche and understanding of like what has happened to you in the past where are those triggers where are those places where um i'm just going to call it damage like where's the damage um to be able to isolate like where the areas then that we need to work on. Um, so for me was the idea of deep physical abuse with my brother, um, me being uh, ostracized in different ways throughout my childhood. And those are the two major things and there was a couple of other things. I had to go through therapy to be able to uncover that. Like when I came in, I didn't know that that's what was, I just was an angry person. And this person was able to uncover for me, like this is why you're angry. These are the hidden layers of why you, these keeps coming up and getting in the way of you being able to live the life that you want to live. Somatic therapies are, um, if you're very familiar with like Ayurveda, yoga, meditation, this is not going to seem foreign, but somatic therapies are going into places like breath work, um, gong baths, Reiki healing. Um, it's basically working with the energy in your body. And um, I, I had my first experience like back in March, I went to LA and I went to this like amazing experience and uh, I'm definitely a believer. Um, it was, it's a way that there's a really great book out there called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's all about how trauma and um, different ex- like adverse experiences in our life basically get stored in the body. So therapy, um, traditional therapy is a really great way to isolate what are those triggers and traumas. And then somatic therapy is about helping you release that bottled up energy that's stored in your body through these traumas. So this is a new way that I'm starting to look beyond just, um, you know, practicing this stuff with my son, going to therapy, but really trying to do the whole mind body wellness of, uh, you know, releasing some of the stuff, getting much more self-aware and in tune of just being a much more like whole and rounded person. So it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to kind of try to get out of this, the conversation of psychology now, just because I know that I could go on for another hour yeah, totally. or 10 about that. Maybe I'll have to start another podcast about that. Um, but 
Uh, if I can just summarize some of the stuff that I heard you say around getting back to getting kids to listen. Um, but I do really appreciate how, you know, it starts with ourselves. And if we've got all kinds of stuff, and we all do, we all have stuff we need to process and figure out in order to show up and show up the way we want to show up and in an authentic way. Um, therapy is uh, a great place to, to start uh, looking at that. Um, you talked about getting on your son's level when you're talking to him, mm-hmm. which I love because you're just establishing that kind of being on his level. I mean, it's, it's very important for anybody. I mean, I know when I talk to a guy who's a foot taller than me, it feels different, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really, that's a universal among, among people, I think. Um, and then just acknowledging what it is that he is after, um, his emotional state or what he wants to do. Just, just saying it back is, is a way of acknowledging that and creating connection with him mm-hmm. and um, giving options. You know, you're saying, I see you want to do that. Sounds awesome. And how about washing these vegetables? Um, giving a couple specific options that uh, give him some choice and also redirect him into a space that you would rather him be. And uh, I also like that you're, you know, you're explaining why you're also explaining your own emotions, even if, even if he's not able to speak that back, um, just kind of providing context that you're hoping he'll kind of grow into um, and grasp. And I find that I find that to be true too. The the explaining why. Um, sometimes the reason doesn't even need to make sense, but just just to know that the other person has a reason mm-hmm. is is a big deal. So those are great. It sounds like you've done a lot of for, uh, homework for someone who wasn't working with kids professionally and um, has one young child. Um, can you share some of your favorite resources? A hundred percent. The book that explains this really well is Daniel Siegel's Whole Brain Child. Um, I, I'm sure multiple people have mentioned this book. Uh, it's probably number one of the recommendations I've heard on this podcast. Yes. It's a really great book because he gets down to the scientific levels of what happens in the brain um, and how certain reactions and certain triggers um uh, basically create the behavior. And so on a, on a neurological level is how we can respond uh, and be able to help the child um, move through some of these challenging behaviors. Um, the other book, like I mentioned, is The Body Keeps the Score is a really good one. Um, there's uh, For Growth Mindset is, um, she's the pioneer woman it's literally called growth mindset and her, um, what do you call it? Uh, her name escapes me now. Carol Dweck. Yes. Thank you. I wanted to say the other woman who wrote, uh, wrote grit. Um, but yes, it's Carol Dweck. That's a really good one. 
I would say the two books that really changed my perspective that were sort of at the top of the pyramid was Daniel Siegel's book and then uh, of um, Whole Brain Child and then The Growth Mindset. Those, I feel like if you read those two, you're going to have such a good, uh, and I listen to them on Audible, by the way, so if you don't have time to read, but like you listen to a chapter here and there, some of them are very dense. So like you need to take pace it. Um, but just understanding those two books, you're going to understand the brain. You're going to understand uh, psychology on a very like digestible level. Um, and it just gives you a little bit more insights to yourself. And then, um, you know, the children that you work with or, or take care of. And I will say like the thing that I just really want to add, end on, on this is um, the reason I wanted to talk about connection and some of the examples I gave is that I really feel like every one of us are sort of on a journey, whether you're an educator or you are a parent is um, we have become so disconnected from ourselves. Um, and that's why we have some of these challenges. And I feel like children are in our lives because they're forcing us, if you're willing to pay attention to it, to reconnect with ourselves, our own needs, so we can show up for them and connect with them. And I think this is how we start changing society to be much more connected and in tune with each other. Um, and that is the gift I feel like my son has given me. Um, and I've just, you know, I've, I've been really leaning very hard into it. So yeah. it's been yeah, an absolute children. pleasure here, you know, being able to speak with you on this. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Yeah, kids are kids are by nature really vulnerable, and that brings out our own feelings about being vulnerable. Um, and usually, that usually that's a very uncomfortable feeling for us. Um, yeah. For more on that, I would I recommend Brene Brown's work. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you doing the same, being being open and vulnerable, and sharing about your issues and and how you've how you've. Um, addressed them, addressed those challenges. Um, where can we learn more about you and what you're up to? So um, right now I'm just on Instagram. It's um, the symbol at and then T-A-N-O-S underscore M-O-M. So Tano's mom. And um, I literally am just on Instagram sharing my own experience, the things that inspire me um, and the things that I'm going through um, on a daily basis. That's great. I think that's great. You know, learning out loud. That's right. And, um, no, it's been wonderful to connect with other, um, people. I'm connected with all kinds of psychologists and therapists, and I learn from the community, uh, just as much. I'm always learning about new books. So if this is, um, a new space for anybody, I, Instagram is such a great way to connect with other people and really start learning, um, and sharing your own experience of what it is that you're going through. Yeah, I'm just I'm just figuring it out myself. So I'll uh, I'll see you out there in the interweb. <laughs> Agatha, thanks for your time today. Thanks for sharing everything. Thank you um, so I much, really James. Appreciate it's been you a pleasure. coming on the show. Thank you. Yeah, and um, we'll let you get back to your to your toddler in action. And to all of our listeners, thank you for being with us. It's. Uh, we're trying to get better all the time and we appreciate any feedback and uh, just want to say thanks and hope everybody stays safe. See you next time. All right. Bye.